Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 106 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, give us a five-star review. Joining me today, because we're going to talk some NXT UK, is Back Body Drops' Ian Hamilton. Ian, how are you, my friend? Hey, Larry, not too bad. Still living that uh, quarantine lifestyle. Um, UK still in somewhat of lockdown as we head into Easter weekend. And yeah, a lot of wrestling, UK, Europe, as is the world, very much in flux right now. That's right, yes. I'm coming to you from my own personal isolation station. And um, yeah, so it's... um. It is what it is, man. But like, like I've been uh, talking a lot about on these shows, uh, trying to throw out um, as much regular content as possible to give everybody a little something to listen to. And again, I wanted to talk NXT UK, and you're kind of always my go-to guy when we want to talk about the UK stuff. Since you're you're over there and you know a lot about the UK scene, and we've always we've dove into it a few times. But we're just going to kind of talk about the the current state of NXT UK, which is. Obviously, very much in flux, as WWE would say, due to the current situation. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, not stop Fitress, but that Wrestling Resurgence project stuff leaked. Uh, Timothy Thatcher is fake, but accent called it, it's bollocks, which is about the best way to explain this right now. You know, as we were recording this, uh, NXT UK just did their first clip show. And you know, as we go through what's happened this year, where things could have gone, I think they've got maybe a week, maybe two in the can before TakeOver Dublin was meant to have happened. And right now, NXT UK, the well's dry. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, they're not the only one. I- I've talked about this, talked about on the last show with Steve. I mean, like the NWA is pretty much dry because what they had left was building to the Crockett Cup, which isn't happening. So they've been airing some other stuff, including like Paul Bosch's Houston Wrestling this past week. MLW claim, Court Bauer's claiming somehow that they can run content through 2021 without running more live events. And I guess the only way you can do that is going into the old MLW library. And I guess we'll relive the Kojima title run and like the Extreme Horsemen and shit like that. Um, TNA Impact is going to be recording um, stuff this week at a uh, studio in Nashville. AEW's pre-taped through May. WWE's recording this week, but uh, NXT UK, like you said, the, the well is dry outside of those couple things they have taped, and if they taped any of the dark matches, they could theoretically have in the can. But it looks like we're getting best dubs for the time being. Yeah, and I mean, you know, just to fill in, guys may not be aware. Obviously, WWE with WrestleMania, a lot of the guys who are on. No, you just look at Raw, Raw and SmackDown these days. You're getting NXT guys who haven't even been on TV being on Raw and SmackDown, like your Brendan Vinks, you know, guys of that ilk, because you know, they're taping the Performance Center, they bulk the crowd, bulk the guys they have are guys who are local to the PC. In the UK, it's a completely different kettle of fish. The UK Performance Center's in Enfield in North London, and you take one look through the NXT UK roster, not that many guys live in London, let alone Enfield. You know, so you've got guys who no, ignore, no, like your Walters, your Ilya Dragunovs, who have to travel from you no know, mainland Europe. You know, 
you know, you've got Kayleigh Ray's, your Piper Nibbins have to travel down from Scotland, you Joseph Connors from Nottingham's. And, you know, the UK government, you know, although we're not in a total lockdown, they are advising against non-essential travel. And, you know, considering they would have to fly people in, whether it's for the production side or, you know, the you know, main NXT guys who they sometimes use for these shows, it's been an absolute pain to fly people in to the UK Perform Centre. And that's if they can convert that place into a makeshift TV studio, which, you know, the bits I've seen, they would need extra help to do it. And that, I guess, would not count as essential work. Yeah, exactly. They're they're definitely at a um, severe disadvantage compared to the regular NXT product because of everybody being so centrally located and that place being so state-of-the-art and easily converted, and especially when they had to do Raw and uh, SmackDown there as well. So, yeah, unfortunately for the NXT UK brand, they're just going to... It's going to... It just feels like it's going to be best of stuff for a very long time until this stuff starts to level out and settle down. And, you know, you keep hearing people always want to give like a, a, oh, we think we can get going by this date. And we think we can get going by this date. It's like, listen, you're a fucking sports talking header or like a club owner. You're not a goddamn doctor. Okay, don't don't give me an idea. I have no clue when anything's going to return to somewhat normalcy. I have no clue when they're going to be able to even get a venue where they could tape without fans. Nobody fucking knows. But comparatively to a lot of other places, NXT UK is kind of boned right now. Yeah, and again, you know, compared to like even TNA or Impact, you know, back in the day, they had a lot of the old footage shows. I mean, it's easy to forget, you know, Impact, TNA, they've been going for damn near 20 years. So, you know, they've got two decades of content they can just recycle, you know, have Josh Matthews film stuff on his phone and, you know, spit it out in access. And next to UK, as we saw the show tonight, you know, you have the you know, first tournament in 2017 in Blackpool, those wacky Norwich tapings, you know, a bit later on in 2017, the um, Royal Albert Hall shows, the then what, a couple of takeovers and then 18 months of TV. So, you know, comparatively speaking, the selection they've got, there's only so much you can do with, you know, best of, you know, your favourite and influential matches before the world runs dry. And, you know, considering how much they showed and stuff, I mean, the stuff tonight they put in clip form, like, Peters against Tyler from Chicago. I was surprised they even mentioned that. You know, other stuff from the UK Championship tournaments they you know, mentioned and glossed over. That stuff I think they're going to need to go back to and just replay the whole damn matches unless they find a way to you know make this work. Pretty much, and it's uh, it's kind of funny. The WWE UK Twitter posted, uh, you know, tonight the rise of NXT UK on the WWE Network. What moments do you think were key to the UK brand? Have you seen the responses to this? I saw a tweet from a close personal friend, Will Cooling, which was a a bit of a dig at that. Um, so oh, well, I, I, I got a few for you. The, the top three responses were ITV announcing World of Sport Revival, the rise of the UK indie scene that was destroyed by you, and then the next one was Sabre turning them down after the Cruiserweight Classic, Flow Slam relaunching, Fear and Loathing getting 6,000 people at the Hydro, World of Sport New Year's <laughs> Eve Special World of Sports Season, Rev Pro on Spree Sports, and New Japan Royal Quest. And that's just touching the, the, skin, the top of the surface. I mean, you know, things other stuff like progress running Wembley. I mean, Christ, how you know, 
how much has VAT fallen off? Like VAT 18 months ago, come two years ago, was the big show for progress. And now, you know, it's stuff people forget. You know, Five Star, which you know we took we talked about a couple of episodes back, an absolute shit show. Uh, WCPW, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, there's a lot of buzz, a lot of stuff bubbling up in the UK indie scene. And, you know, okay, they take credit for it, you know, the show tonight. You know, they said that, you know, the UK tournaments, you know, revitalised Britain as well. To a wider audience, perhaps. But you peel away the, you know, the mainstream WWE brand... It's not, I won't say it's in a bad state, but it's nowhere near as healthy as it was even 18 months ago. But um, yeah, going to, you know, speaking of Blackpool, the takeover this year, I guess, was where we pick up. Um, and I think the big match from that, obviously, was um, Walter and Joe Coffey in a match which I surprised was able to happen because Joe Coffey's main event from the previous year was still going on. Yeah, and Joe Coffey has the distinction of having lackluster matches in main event spots with both Pete Dunne and Walter. That's impressive. That's not something you really want to have on your resume. And it's like, sure, Joe Coffey, nice lad and all, but uh, yeah, dude, you can only sit there and throw punches and yell, this is my kingdom so many fucking times before nobody cares. That best tonight hammered home they've been doing gallus against the welsh lads for 18 months now in some form how like that in itself just shows the i don't say the lack of development but that is the wider issue we hammered home last time but that storyline has been going since day one of nxt uk and it's not even been like a good it's not even like gargano champa where they've at least you know had stuff weaving in and out it's been matches i mean Game take over Blackpool. Those two teams were involved here. Four-way ladder match. Gallus, uh, South Wales subculture. There's a team name that didn't need to exist, but hey ho. Imperium, Grizzled Young Veterans. Uh, I remember fun ladder match, but by God, it did the thing that a lot of NXT matches will want to do. Not I'll save a welcome, but it got a bit too cute for South with a lot of those ladder spots. Yeah, and it is really weird. And like you said, we have talked about that kind of lack of development and growth in terms of where the roster's going, where certain guys are positioned. And it feels like so many people are just spinning their wheels. But to kind of look at some of this stuff, just just looking at the card results, we had, you know, you have, um at the beginning, Eddie Dev- Dennis beats Trent Seven. And then they did a rematch in that uh, wacky steel corners, whatever the fuck it was called, match. That was actually really yeah, good. Street fight. Yeah, fat. Um, so Eddie Dennis got injured in that match, yeah. uh, and obviously that led to me and the scene. He had to relinquish the Progress title, which meant that um, Caranoir won the belt in Progress. Things about a week later, and that set a whole new thing with him up on the Indies, but. To me, that kind of derailed Eddie's uh, momentum because, okay, he lost the rematch, but you know, a takeover win you know, still means something in WWE in 2020. But you no know, fact that he lost, you know, a he lost the rematch, but most, you know, more um, seriously got injured. You know, that's a whole you no know, what if. I mean, it's what two, three injuries had you no know, while under contract. Now, I don't want to say he's injury prone because you know, injuries happen. 
but he's been one of those who's been really cursed with bad luck with just the timing of the injuries. He really has. And I mean, it's a shame because like, I don't want to sound crass. I like, I don't think Eddie Dennis is exactly a great guy, like wrestler worker or anything, but I enjoy him well enough. And it just, it sucks that these injuries have happened because maybe he was going to develop into something really interesting. But at this point, it's like, are we ever going to actually find out? I mean, I like Eddie Dennis. You know, he's he's one of those guys who, you know, I like the backstory he's had. I think, you know, obviously we need to see where this all picks up and get out of this current situation. But I would dare say that he's probably one of those guys who they may keep on as a talking head because, I mean, his promos are excellent. Yes. Like, you know, when the verbiage they give him, you know, whether it's the verbiage they give him or his own words, the promos like the vignettes he's had, he nails all things. You know, he's one of those guys who, one of the few they've got who can talk you into his match. And, you know, I don't know if he, you know, if he does come up, and I'm sure he will, but if they trust him at that level or, or to put him in the storyline, I mean, uh, Fandango, going back a few years, was meant to be big and then, you know, a couple of ill-timed concussions and they just lost faith and trust in him. I could see Eddie sticking around or you know, being maybe used more as a mandra mouthpiece. Um, I know he's kind of doing that in progress with Mark Andrews, uh, but obviously that's not the, um, not the direction of the feeling we've got for the moment of Mark's babyface, Eddie's a heel. But you know, could easily seem you know, being mouthpiece for someone, just it's a case of, you know, do, they want, do they want to go down that road with him? Yeah, and it wouldn't be the worst thing. I mean, you know, give him to you know, somebody, I don't know who, honestly, but give him to somebody, let him talk. And you don't have to like totally relegate him to a mouthpiece overall because he, you know, if he's healthy enough, then you can work it into kind of like he's like the big boss, you know, he manages a couple guys or whatever, and then someone can eventually get to him. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's a guy you can use. But like I said, it's just a kind of a shame. So I'm, I'm not sure we're ever going to see what he could actually really do. And then Trent Seven is pretty much just kind of in the role Trent Seven's always been in. He's. he's- a good, good old hand. Yeah, a good, reliable hand. He's he's around. He can you you can count on him for a good match, a good promo, stuff like that. Crowd always reacts to him. So I mean, he's unfortunately that's kind of his lot in life. Yeah, yeah the old statesman of NXT UK, yeah. which isn't a bad place to be. But the problem is, I no, I whether it's good or bad, he kind of peaked too soon. Like they won the NXT tag titles before NXT UK was a thing. And it's like, you know, even if Tyler Bates, you know, at this point isn't looking close to getting moved up, but you can't even put them, him and Tyler together because former NXT tag champions winning the UK belts, to some that will look like a demotion. It may, but I still think you can get something out of a Mustache Mountain tag title run because those guys are just over and they're so good together. But I, I get I get your point, but yeah, it, it feels really weird that the tag division has kind of largely existed without them. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll skip a couple of matches like that glad match we're on about. Gallus, Crystal Young Veterans, uh, Imperium and the Welsh lads. You know, looking at the results since then, the tag titles haven't been in place since, so they did a spotty four-way ladder match, and they've done nothing with the tag division since. Okay, you've had, you know, you know uh, Pretty Deadly have become a, a unit... You know, Gallus have had random wins, but there's no teams 
who've even been built up to be tag title challenges. I mean, for matches, of, you know, the NXT UK is going into what would have been Dublin in two weeks. There's no tag title match even set up for that. No. There's no and... obvious contender, which you, know, you lost for Grizzle, uh, the Grizzled Young Veterans Fair now in Florida. Um, you know, and you've already had you know, the rest of the teams, Imperium, uh, the Welsh lads, they've had tag title shot after tag title shot. To me, that division kind of feels dead. It's it's props on them to know uh, Mark Coffey and Wolfgang's shoulders, while Joe Coffey stands there looking like Sonata with a deeper Scottish accent. Yeah, pretty much. And that's what I was going to say is, like, there's nobody set up for those tag titles right now. Grizzled Young Veterans were primed to be pushed to an NXT tag title shot. And then all this shit went down. So it's like, you know, I don't know what the hell you're going to do there, but... I mean, you know, if we, no, okay, we, I'll say, bury the tag titles and they've kind of buried themselves. The women's title, that, um, that's had a bit more action since TakeOver. The match in Blackpool, Kaylee Ray, Piper Niven, Tony Storm didn't set my world on fire, but they did go down the road with uh, Kaylee Ray and Tony Storm at the next tapings in York. Uh, did a pretty decent build to the I Quit match where stipulation was if Tony lost. She wouldn't get another title shot as long as Kaylee Ray was champion, which I swear that was a wrinkle they added in very late in the build because I know people were there live in, in you know those tapings in Yorkshire, and they were telling me that live they would not the announcement was if Tony didn't win she'd never got another shot, which you know, set off rumors up that she was going to Florida. Well, she lost. She's not in Florida. Um, and then they put in the whole, well, as long as Kaylee Ray's champion. So I guess the path they were going down was maybe eventually, you no know, Tony costs, you no know, Kaylee the belt to get it off her so she can get back in the picture. But Tony, I would say, is one of those names who is outgrown in NXT UK. You know, they brought in Rhea Ripley. You know, my God, how quickly she's blossomed since, you know, since uh, she you know, started on this show. Like she, she's probably the one success story of this brand. I know. Uh, last time we talked about this, I kind of hand waved and said, "Well, she was not from the UK scene, but she's probably the only person they can really hang their hat on." Because if you think she debuted in NXT UK, first NXT UK Women's Champion, and she's on WrestleMania last weekend. You name me somebody else in the show who's had that kind of meteoric rise in eighteen months. Yeah, no, and that's it's the truth. And I, I've I've long said that I thought. People criticized it at the beginning. I, I have long said that I thought sending Rhea Ripley to NXT UK was a great move because, for lack of a better word, they used this as a territory. She went, she went to a different territory. She got in some work. She became a star. And more importantly, she learned to work as a top star. And then when they decided she was ready... They took her away and they put her in a bigger territory in the regular NXT. And like you said, she she had a great Survivor Series week. She blossomed into a star. She had the big match with uh, the lady big dog who, of course, had to win in Charlotte there. So, But yeah, I mean, she's definitely a UK success story because, uh, in terms of somebody that worked the brand, was billed as a star there, and actually went on to something else. Because for as much as we, we love like Peter and Tyler and a bunch of those other guys... They, they've done stuff. They've done well, but they haven't gone on to do anything else of importance. Yeah, I guess it was this phrase I heard during the week. I don't see Pete and Tyler passing the Vince McMahon sniff test. No, 
you know, we, we both know how great workers they are, but in terms of size, you know, I don't ever see Pete being a regular on Raw. I mean, when he debuted on Raw, it was against the you know, then Cruiserweight champion Enzo, which, you know, they're slotting, you know, but like this, if, you know, Joe Coffey was Pete Dunne in terms of size, Joe Coffey wouldn't have been debuted, you know, up against the Cruiserweight some little guys. So, but yeah, I mean, going back to, you know, Ray Ripley, obviously long gone from NXT UK, but what I do find interesting is while the main storyline, from better words, has been oh, out, you know, since TakeOver has been piping in and Kaylee Ray, they haven't frozen the rest of the division. Um, you know, with some new signings at the start of the year, Danny Luna, Amal, they've both gone from, uh, Amal's case, you're already in the ring, doesn't get an entrance job at two. I have some matches on TV. Uh, again, I for Valkyrie, another uh, newcomer. So they have been developing the undercard of women's division, but problem is, a lot of those matches I'm looking like, you know, I for Valkyrie, Isle of Dawn, sub five minutes. Um, no, I think that's a mal I for match a couple of weeks back. I think you time about was it less than three minutes? Yeah, so like yeah, that. you've got new face. I mean, no, the other big thing that came out for at least my first quarter of NXT UK. Um, that one match, one rare match they actually built from women's division, Killer Kelly and Alpha Female, Jazzy Gabbett, and both are no longer with NXT UK. Yeah. You know, Jazzy uh, was going to be starting a promotion, a uh, serious sports entertainment in Germany. Obviously, the current prevailing events. God, I need to stop using most of the buzzwords, but you know, current events. Um, you know, that's being postponed. Killer Kelly was meant to have had, you know, uh, a death match with uh, Alison Kay, not death match, a blood spot match with Alison Kay last weekend. Obviously, that fell through, but um, yeah, there has been some turnover in the women's ranks. But again, NXT UK, they built takeover matches, and right now, the top tier names, the same top tier names you've had for the last year or so. Pretty much, and it's just, yeah, they're, they're, they were definitely after they kind of got Tony out of the way with the I Quit match. They were building to Piper and Kaylee Ray, which was kind of the natural thing to build to. And obviously that is stalled for right now, but at least there was some vision going on there. Yeah, like I say, I fully expect whether it's this match on Ireland or a bit further down the line, I fully expect you know, Tony to get involved, cost you know, Kaylee Ray the belt, just to get herself back in the picture. Because right now, we're not seeing Tony doing anything else. You know, there's no, you see... No, hate to compare you know, the NXT UK women's division to AEW, but you know, Cody's not allowed uh, AEW title shot. But you know, it's not like he's you know, sit on, sitting on the sidelines feeling his arse grow wide. He's doing other stuff. Okay, yeah, it's a secondary title, which I doubt you're ever going to get, in, at least for women in uh, you know, mainstream wrestling. But you know, Tony's just been sat on the sidelines doing nothing. And you know, kind of like the, you know, that trope we all hate, Battle Royals. Oh, she slid out under the ring, hiding outside. She'll come back when we're you know, least expected. But deep down, we're all expecting it. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, it's just a, it's so weird looking at all this because you know everything is just in such a weird flux right now. But in plain fancy book at this point, yeah, and that's pretty much all we can do. But um, you know what's interesting is again, this is Thursday. We're recording this and. We just watched that uh, the Best of NXT UK special that they aired in the regular spot. And uh, one of the matches they showed from that tournament was a Tyler Bate-Jordan Devlin match from the first NXT UK tournament. Yep. 
and and Fad rematch obviously uh, again Blackpool this year and boy have those two guys careers gone completely different ways since that show it's fascinating first of all it's like the stark contrast in match quality um because I mean yeah you can say that well this was a takeover and blah 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 but I mean they're still young both of them have grown so much but what's really weird is like Tyler really plateaued early to where for the longest time they were doing nothing with Devlin and Devlin's best work was outside of WWE. And I think going back to what they aired on TV tonight, the issue that I had with that at the time, this was from the first UK championship tournament. That was from the second night where they, you know, Tyler had to have three matches in one night. And my pet peeve with one night tournaments is you're not going to get three, you know, multiple top line matches from guys at night because you just know unless you have a six hour show, you're not going to have a time. Now, from what I remember, that match was 10 minutes, sub 10 minutes. So, yeah, that, your, that was, you know, knee capping them at TV stand matches. Um, I mean, he, yeah, Tyler Bates, you know, won the title, obviously 2017, lo- uh, lost it to Pete. What's he done since then? I mean, again, it's a bit of an indictment. You know, and he had been teasing going to, you know, full fat NXT, as I like to call it. That fell through. Um, and right now, he really feels like a guy who spinning his wheels on this brand. He's like the younger elder statesman, like the younger Trent Seven. You know, he's too big to be in the world title uh, picture. He's, you know, whatever reason, they, not, they don't want to put him in the tag title picture. There's no the secondary belt. So he's a guy who... Now, after after this match, whereas Jordan Devlin you know, went on to become the Cruiserweight Champion you know, of Full Fat NXT, Tyler Bates almost been put into like wacky sitcom stuff with, hey, he's suddenly A-Kid's best friend and you know, close competitor buddy. It's like, I guess you know, use him to build A-Kid, but what the hell? Yeah, it's astounding to me how little they have gotten out of Tyler Bates so far in this brand. I mean, you think I'll say Tyler as well? Okay, 2020, but this being long going, ask, ask fans of OTT. He has had a few niggling injuries, I would say. I mean, he was mentioned wrestled for OTT a couple of months back, pulled out. Uh, he's not been there for best part of a year, and he's one of their tag team champions right now, which, yeah, they're not exactly thrilled with. But, um, yeah, I don't know whether, you know, injuries are a big deal. I mean, um, you know, the tapings which you know, the path we're wearing now, his only appearance was that Battle Royal. You know, so across two days, he's you know, you know, a bit part play. You know, okay, he's the last guy out in Battle Royal, but you know, fact of the matter is, across two days, everyone else has at least two matches. If your only thing is a Battle Royal that you can, you know, you're not fully engaged with, that to me suggests there may have been some issues going into at least the last weekend of the last uh, weekend tapings. And that, that that could be it, maybe. But and it's not like WWE is exactly forthcoming with injury information these days. So, um, but yeah, it's just it just feels really weird that they've gotten so little out of Tyler Bate on this brand. It really can, feels like he should have been a bigger deal, and like, and if he's not that big a deal to a point, it's just get more out of him. I mean, yeah, the occasional really good or great match on TV is cool, but. I just want some more. I mean, there's a lot of guys you could say they have done you know, absolutely naff all with. Travis Banks, when NXT UK started, he was 
you know, just about lose the progress title. He was a really hot name on the indies. Okay, he picked up a shoulder injury at the absolute worst time possible. But since then, he's not got going. Like, his newest thing was what the qualifying match um, against Brian Kendrick, you know, for the, the Cruiserweight title thing, you know, for Overworlds Collide. Um, obviously, didn't win that. The match had with uh, Jordan Devlin, what, two weeks ago on TV? And since then, you know, He's not really done much else. And again, it's a bit of an indictment of the entire brand. No, it feels like nobody's got much to do on this show. I like, mean, no, we've, yeah. We've just covered you know, most of the Blackpool card. No, no, Trent Seven's pretty much done nothing since he got his win back already. Kaylee Wayne, Piper Niven, they've been tied up. Tyler Bates, you know, become friends of A-Kid while Jordan Devlin's gone on to bigger things. The tag titles are MIA. And really, Walter... I guess he's the, you know, the only other guy who's had anything to do since this. Uh, the Big Lads feud with Dave Mastiff, which wasn't horrible, but it's like of all the guys on that roster you picked to have a, you know, a, a title match with, Dave Mastiff? Well, the, 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 reason, the, way, the way I looked at the Mastiff thing, and I don't disagree with you, is it was a TV title defense. It was a challenger of the month thing, and you can easily build up a big guy like that like they did. And it worked for what it was. But I get your point. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of other people on there that they could have done something else with. And, I mean, it kind of is what it is. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Walter, I mean, unfortunately, like, they haven't exactly wowed my world with him either. And I love the big guy. Like, I'm going back and catching some Evolve stuff that I missed and... You know, Walter fucking pops in at the end of the night of these fucking Evolve shows working 15 minutes and, like, just, like, schooling everybody on the fucking card in terms of <laughs> overall skill. And it's not that these cards are bad or anything, but it's just funny because it's like, Walter goes in there, he fucking dragging great match out of Josh Briggs, who I don't hate or anything, but, like, he just pops in and he's fucking Walter. Like, the match I just watched was, like, a 141. It was the weekend that him and Tim Thatcher had all their shit stolen. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. so my man Walter's out there with fucking no boots on and a pair of borrowed trunks and he fucking dropping a four-star match like it's nothing. <laughs> it's like... Again, when you look at that, and even you know, by that point, Walter had been in the system for a year. I mean, I'm going back and watching old Black Story shows. Um, I, oh, no, back body drop, I dropped the first one last week. Um, the second one will be out by the time this drops. Um, their old weekly TV show, Shotgun, and it was a match I watched today for, I think, what we'll be putting up next week. Uh, first time that him and Tim Thatcher tagged ever as a team, as, you know, as a two-man team, against a team called A4, Absolute Andy, Marius Alani. And it's like, this first time they teamed together, and it's like they'd been teamed for years, like the Steiner brothers in some respects. It's like, you forget because, you know, we've had a year of Walter doing, what, one TV match a month plus the odd takeover, it's very easy to forget how great some of these guys are when you know, you're sh- you know, you're kind of shuffled away in you know, a promo every other week and, in this case, an eight-minute TV, uh, TV title defense against Dave Mastiff. You know, it's not slight Mastiff, but you know, when you enter the WWE system, especially when it's a TV product, more than not your you know, TV output is 10, maybe 15-minute matches if you're lucky. Unless you're Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. 
I haven't seen much yet, and I am one of those guys who may need some kind of uh, alcoholic influence to get me through that from what I've seen on uh, on the gifts. Brother, you're going to have to uh, ch- uh, chime up that fucking beer app on your Twitter machine and <laughs> 48 minutes long or so, man. Oh, God, I better get the bees in the fridge for that one. But, um, but yeah, I mean, again... It's not an indictment, but I mean, it, WWE is WWE. You know, you know what you're getting out of WWE television. The problem is, you know, coming out of TakeOver, what we've seen there, it's been painfully cookie-cutter. I mean, I think the last time we spoke on NXT UK, the one guy who'd been debuting bubbling up was Rich Holland. He was getting the kind of Goldberg push. But, at least in the last set of tapings, that derailed horribly, I mean... He had a match with Saxon Huxley, a sub-90 second Goldberg special uh, early in the year. And then the next time we saw him was Joseph Connors, in which uh, Joe Connors learned how to attack the knee and did nothing but attacking the same goddamn knee the same goddamn way. Yeah. <sighs> very, very frustrating. So, And like I think what's frustrating about um, the whole thing that's going on right now is Walter actually had direction coming out of that show and following in the build because he was supposed to face Finn Balor over WrestleMania weekend. Yep. I mean, the last few shows before many weekend was clear overdubs. You know, Nigel McGuinness in the wind tunnel, so you knew that was, was never announced, but that was clearly the path they were heading. And all I can think is, yeah, a lot of people have maligned Finn Balor for his recent rework. But if there's ever a guy to drag a match kicking and screaming out from him, it would have been Walter. Exactly. And then following that, I mean, you had Dragunov win the Battle Royal, which was going to be the takeover match. Yep. I mean, just worry about Ilya. I mean, he, he came in about, another one came out a year ago. Um, he's another one of those guys who, much like Travis Banks, you know, came with hype, been floating on, but not really done much apart from that spell back end of last year where... He was accidentally in Gallus for a few weeks, which, okay, it loosely tied him with Walter, but him and Walter had some absolutely fantastic matches. I reviewed a bunch from about uh, two, three years back for WXW, um, including one, if you believe it, where Walter and Ilya have an entire match where Walter does not throw a single chop. So if you think, you know, they've got a five-star classic where Walter's biggest move doesn't get used once. You know, so they do have plenty in their arsenal to you know, pull a great match out. Um, but one thing that I would say, again, with Novilia, you know, some of the old shotguns have been watching um, stuff from coming to four, uh, three and a half, four years ago. If you look at him now compared to you know, some of 2016, his physique, and I'm not, I'm not body shaming, but the amount of work that guy has put in, it's like night and day. He did have a bad physique 2016, but compared to then, he is absolutely shredded. It's like, you know, one of the beneficiaries of these full-time contracts, you know, you're getting paid good money, you know, pretty much get paid to train. And with some guys you can see, they are, you know, putting the effort in there. Yeah, and that is good. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you can see that with a lot of guys, because like, you know, you look back at the NXT UK tournament stuff that they showed the first one, you know, Tyler Bates in really good shape then. Very strong boy, obviously. And even now, he's in even better shape. Pete Dunne has gotten into a lot better shape comparatively from that first year. 
I think the, the knock on a lot of the UK guys were, hey, great workers, just lift some weights. You know, that's being very, you know, dismissive and very reductive. But that was the knock a lot of people had, you know, especially if your only window on wrestling is what WWE puts out. It's very easy to go, ah, yeah, they're good, but um, guys on Grapple Spotlight, uh, one of them was over WrestleMania last year when they had Zack Sabre Jr., you know, uh, you know the Supercard of Honor show. And the whole time, there's you no know, guy was from uh, Joel Lemon at uh, Madison Square Garden. He was telling about how you know guys sitting next to him was absolutely you know, digging in to save about how skinny he was. Like, you no, know, on the surface, I can see that. You no, know, I've seen Zack Sabre Jr. matches for years. I also know if I dare say that was face, he'd either slap me or you no, know, damn near break my arm by putting me in a hold I couldn't even begin to describe. And it's just you no, know, we have a lot of people who. If they're just casual fans, the first thing they see will be for the Zeke, the lack of a tan, the weird tail, though Christ, half of the you know, NXT roster these days has a weird tail when you count beads and what have you. But yeah, it's it's the kind of cosmetic stuff which, unfortunately, if you're having to balance wrestling with day jobs, is very hard to come by, without, at least without uh, you know, some kind of assistance. Exactly. And now that a lot of these guys just can, um, <clears throat> excuse me, can focus on that brand and train and the occasional outside date it's obviously much better for them but yeah so i mean obviously we lost um you know we lost things like ballard walter and ballard Dragunov. uh you brought up zach saber jr which reminds me uh, of john moxley calling him the fucking human udon noodle <laughs> and uh that's another match that right now with japan and flux and everything in the travel bands that uh that New Japan was building to a John Moxley Zack Saber Jr. match, which Lord only knows if we will end up seeing that. Yeah, I mean, think it was right now New Japan's canned everything through the May at this point. Yeah, and the only thing that concerns me, no, I'm not going to make any kind of sweeping you no know, assumptions, but those last New Japan shows, like the uh, Nakanishi Retirement Show, the, uh, no, this was the very early days of the COVID situation. A lot of the crowd, you know, Corkin were wearing you know, the face masks for those, for those shows. You know, you follow the, you know, the news come out buttons like, oh, Japan hasn't got many cases. And you think, yeah, they've had SARS before, they've had MERS. You know, they're used to handling pandemics like this or, you know, uh, epidemics like this. And then you see, you know, what, three, four weeks later, you know, the IOC postponed the Olympics by a year, then all of a sudden, it's like Pandora's box being opened. They start having cases. And it's like, were they really having no case? Or no? Those two events to me just sit you know, eerily coincidental for my liking. You know, IOC saying, you know, the Olympics is now going to be 2021. And then all of a sudden, boom, you've got cases and, you know, Tokyo and other prefectures in a state of emergency. So, yeah, I think, I think with Japan, I know New Japan floated this week, the idea of empty arena shows. Um, that state of emergency means you're not getting most for at least a month unless you know, they tape it for you know, New Japan Dojo. I mean, that building was, Christ, that was flooded back in the last year. You know, I don't know if that's even any condition to tape in. You know, whereas, you know, you've got DDT, you know, they've taped a lot of uh, you know, empty arena dojo shows. Um, yeah, with Japan, but no. Not only is for the prospect of promotions actually shutting, you know, because we've been told not to have live events, but the fact that you know this somehow is being kept under control and now all hell breaking loose, 
this could be a lot, no, a lot worse than nothing would think now. I mean, Christ, there was a month on from a lot of the rest of the world not supposed to be starting their dose of this crisis. Yeah, and it's it's obviously not getting any better. And I, I talked on, because uh, it's Thursday, so on last night's show, I was talking with Steve, we were talking about how the stuff shutting down in Japan, how, I mean, it's actually finally everybody, like, shutting down, even finally Big Japan finally stopped running. And they I were one Big of the J- last holdouts. I think Big Japan was literally because they were told no yeah. shows of fans. And I think they're probably the main uh, culprits people suspecting of a you know, the promotion who could fold. I mean, you no know, Wrestle One went, but they were already, you know, announcing they were closing before this, which, you know, probably not the best way to be going. But, you know, if you've got companies who were holding on, doing shows in front of fans, you know, and they were, you know, they were getting crowds, not big crowds, but they were getting people. The fact that you're still running shows with the t- crowds in, you know, in this situation tells me you needed the money from those shows. Basically. So it's just, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've speculated on and off here that, um, you know, a lot of people, oh, you're overreacting, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, it's like a lot of lower level U.S. indies and a lot of the lower level J- Japanese companies through all this are going to be in danger of shutting down. It's not me overreacting. This is basic economics. Your smaller companies like Big Japan, Ice Ribbon and shit like that that need to run multiple shows just to stay in on float, you know? Well, just look in the States. WrestleMania weekend was last weekend. How many shows got canned? You know, 435. Those were just ones with streaming as well. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm just going to fire up the list I had somewhere... Um, of shows we're actually running. And again, I'm not, I'm not you know, picking names out to say these guys are going to go under, but like you had your fake game, you no know, GCW, they were running a few shows. Uh, Punk Pro, um, obviously GCW had a bunch of shows which obviously didn't happen. Um, obviously, you know, Gabe's WN, they had a lot of shows that couldn't happen. Progress, WXW didn't have shows. WrestleCon, I mean, that was much publicised and Thankfully, you know, as it looks, you know, high spots isn't going to be hitting the wall, but for spell, it was looking very hairy. But you look at a lot of these promotions who were looking at running potentially their biggest show of the year, and now, bang, that's all gone. You know, the, you know, the crowds were getting the... Even the merch money alone. Like, well, that's the sh- thing. It's just, it's just not the promotions alone that this is their biggest week of the year. The wrestlers, you have the guys that work four to eight shows or whatever, and not only are they making the money for working, but like you just brought up, that merch money. A guy like Colt Cabana only works a couple shows mania a week, but that motherfucker, you know how much he sells shit. So, I mean, yeah, these guys make a killing that week. I mean, I mean, nothing's again, um, this is just looking at uh, the list voice wrestling drew up a few weeks back for All Hell Broke Loose. Like, you know, like Stanley McAbey, name who's, you know, starting to break out, getting a fair bit of buzz. He had five matches announced that weekend. You know, you've got other names, you know, like Adam Brooks, who's starting to become a bit of a, you know, moved to, to Ring of Honor. I think that fell through because, you know, the travel restrictions starting to come in. You know, a lot of names who were starting to, you know, hoping to use this to break out. I mean, um, Shazza McKenzie, she'd relocated to America to do a tour, including WrestleMania weekend. And she ended up having to fly home because pretty much all the uh, bookings were slowly disappearing. 
you know, it was a case of, well, if you've got no bookings and travel restrictions coming in, get the hell out of there before you get stuck in the country. Yeah. And th- that's the other thing. I mean, th- the point you're bringing up and a lot of other people forget is this is the breakout weekend for so many people in terms of going from a lower level indie guy to maybe a top level indie guy or from going to a top level indie guy to somebody getting picked up by an impact or a WWE or an ROH or anybody else bigger than your top tail indie. And it's so much was lost on so many levels over mania weekend. And a lot of people were upset when I was, you know, I would be fine if they canceled WrestleMania and you're like, how could you say that? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of thinking about the fucking public health here, okay? It sucks that everybody's going to lose out on stuff. You know, you're not they're not the only ones who lost out. The fans aren't the only ones who lost out. Um, I'm a businessman. Do you think I want to lose out on all these shows and make less money? Well, can you look, you know, even if you take away the guys who have taken, what, no, Mac Base case, five books, but years gone by, you've had wrestlers who've been taking that uh, last year Chris Dickinson had a dozen bookings of, of something of that order. You know, that for some people, you know, a lot of these guys will wrestle maybe once, twice a weekend. And if you're suddenly making two, three months worth of money in one weekend, okay, I'm pretty sure you're not getting a full rate for all those shows, but still that's a good chunk of change, especially when you consider, you know, a lot of these guys being full time, no, not exactly full timers, you know, that's a weekend that could make, you know, uh, no, not life and death, but could make a huge difference between wrestling covering some of the bills and wrestling, you know, giving you a lot more spare money in your pocket to improve yourself. Exactly. And it's, yeah, so it's, it's a really weird time. And I guess, like, in terms of NXT UK, I guess the really good news is that, you know, for these guys that are locked into contracts now, that you don't have to worry as much about stuff. But, I mean, the brand is, like, really in flux now because we talked about right now, I mean, they're essentially, for the lack of better terms, they're out of material. Unless they determine to run some of those matches, redub some commentary, or maybe air some dark matches. We're going to see best ofs for a long while because, as you were talking to me before we started recording, they've also canceled the next couple sets of tapings along with the takeover. So, I mean... Yeah, I mean, it was announced, you know, literally an hour or two before we start recording. Um, the UK tour that was meant to be in May that's been pushed back to October, all but one date. Um, but you're looking at, like, um, like we're running in Bournemouth the next tapings. Up. So we're meant to be taping in Dublin, takeover, and then obviously the pre-show would be the next week's NXT UK. Then two dates in Bournemouth, that got cancelled. Uh, the Download Festival in June... That entire festival got cancelled very early on in this in all this. Um, so the next actual set of tapings that NXT UK have on the books is in Glasgow on the 24th and 25th of July. And as we look now, it's what? Um, one to three weeks left in April, four in May, another four in June, and five in July. So we're talking at least, what, four, nine... 13, we're talking a good 16 weeks of best of shows if they can't find a way to, well, I reckon with at least the stuff they had taped for uh, TakeOver Dublin they haven't used, at least Contra Cage Match they have got 
uh, five matches left on it. Um, so, uh, yeah, five matches left on it. Um, uh, Amir Jordan against Tyson T-Bone, Walter Rich Holland, Tony Storm, Isla Dawn, Finn Balor, Kenny Williams, and what was announced as a dark tag team match, Dan Maloney and Dereese against the Hunt. So, you know, if you play yourself Kenny Bay, you could get maybe two, three weeks worth of shows there. You look at other dark matches that they haven't used, no, from the reason, no, from at least 2020's tapings. Um, there's maybe one, two, three, so there's another week's worth of matches there if you want to try and do what we've done with AEW Dark. Um, but yeah, at best, you've got three, maybe four weeks of content. And you're looking at 16 weeks before they can tape in front of a crowd. And that's assuming by the end of January, uh, end of July, we are in a position where they can get however many they were going to get in Glasgow into, a, into an arena to tape. And I think the other thing, was, you know, again, we all we've already mentioned, we can't, you know, they can't even do a, um, we can't even do a NXT Raw SmackDown because a lot of the talent don't leave near the performance centre in Enfield, which there's even question marks, is that capable of being transformed into a TV production facility? So, yeah, I mean, you know, if we're looking at most of they screw every last drop of uned and dark matches out, they've got three, four weeks worth of new content that they'd need to revoice. And then, yeah, clip shows and who knows what. So that, that leads to Brandon... Just a giant state of flux right now. And it's, again, who the hell knows exactly what's going to go on? Because, again, we don't know how long this whole thing is going to last. I mean, right, I mean, as we're speaking now, uh, UK government have got uh, restrictions in place. So stuff a lot of people in the states and around the world have. You know, don't travel unless you're going to work or unless you're going out for food, medicine, to care for someone who's vulnerable or the job for moment is for one you know, daily exercise you're allowed every day. Um, you know, I know some stay-at-home orders, you know, they put the, with some exemptions. So, again, I, I don't want to turn this into any arguments on religion or politics, but how the hell is going to church you know, essential when you know you can pray wherever? You know, to me, this, that, that kind of stuff just seems absolutely absurd but that's an argument for so it's a lot better place for me to to hold but you know in the uk at least we've got those you no know, travel restrictions i know in ireland they actually have police having checkpoints stopping people if they're traveling to see where they're going uh there is talk that at least some police forces in this country will be going down that same road because um as last weekend in manchester for instance even though we were under a lockdown with no, not no all non-essential movement being banned, police in Manchester had to break up six hundred and sixty house parties. However, like I doubt for six hundred and sixty house parties on a regular weekend in Manchester, let alone like um, we, um, we talked before um, John Oliver HBO, you know, uh, last week tonight they had clips a couple of weeks back of mayors in Italy absolutely losing their shit because. All of a sudden, you're under lockdown, and half the damn country wants to become a marathon runner. And it's like, okay, yeah, maybe there are some elite sportsmen who were training for marathons. They've all been rescheduled or cancelled. But you're sitting at home, and you're told, you know, stay indoors, you know, don't spread this shit round. And all of a sudden, everybody wants to start training for a marathon. 
Get out of here. It's really weird. One thing I was just thinking of um, in terms for content. What do you think the chances are that they maybe dip into that progress relationship and put together some like best of stuff like in like you know like a best of a fucking British strong style and shit like that like a trios a couple trios matches and shit like that or I mean they have these relationships with these companies and it features a lot of their talent I mean I wouldn't totally rule that out cuz how long have we heard rumblings that these companies may end up on the WWE network even though it's not happened yet so, obviously, about a month ago, and by God, it feels a lot longer than that. Uh, I was in Germany for 16 karat gold. The, there was talk again of WXW being on the network. You know, and we saw when the network relaunched, what, six months ago, you know, there were random ICW matches on the network that were inaccessible. That content is allegedly there on the network waiting for someone to flick a switch. Um, I don't think they're going to go, like, Progress, they only do full three-hour events, whereas ICW, WXW, well, WXW had, ICW still have their Fight Club show they put out every week. That wouldn't surprise, wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden they did maybe a, like I say, a best of to, you know, wean people into this. But again, the issue you've got with ICW and everything else, how far back do you start? I mean, those ICW shows will be, you know, ultimately building up to shows which have happened so you, you know you can't really you know start now and go hey we're going to start from january 2020 icw fight club and then talking about shows which happened because you will hit a point where you run out of content can you just go back like with like i'm doing with triple x three shotgun their, their vod network has stuff starting from august 2016 um okay they stopped shotgun in october 2018 so you've got about two and a bit years of that. Could they provide on the network? I mean, it's fair. You know, they've dubbed all the music out, so it's just be straightforward case of lift from one VOD service, dropping another, assume they've got all the rights signed up. Uh, as for progress, there'd be a lot of editing work to do in terms of, you know, how do you, you know, slice them up? Do you pick, like, the like the run of pretty Strong Style when they had back in, what, 2017? You know, Pete Trent and Tyler were villains, were bad guys. The exact opposite of what they are being presented as now in WWE, NXT, NXT UK. Um, so to me, it's like, do you show, do you find a way to cut around the matches and you just show the guys they've contracted? No, do you just have, I don't know, Pete Dunn, Travis Banks? You can do that. It'd be a lot of work. But I think ultimately they've got the rights to, if you believe the, the grapevine, Progress, WXW, ICW. Uh, that's just named three, you know, the main European uh, indies. They've got the rights to those three video libraries to some extent. I don't see why we can't pull the trigger, but it's more a case of do they just want to dump on a load of, hey, he's progress chapter, whatever, with no concept, no context, no background. Um, it's something we could actually absolutely do. Like, say, if we're looking at four months with no new content, NXT UK is going to run dry very soon, unless we unless we start getting all due respect the best of Rich Holland, and that's only going to take ten minutes. How dare you? <laughs> well, look, ten minutes, and that's if you do show the Joseph Connors match. And let's be honest, who liked that? Joseph Connors' mom. That's a lot. Same that he didn't like it, might. Yeah, I don't know. 
It's Joseph Connors, dude. You really want me to care about Joseph Connors? I mean, he was a big deal at some point at a certain level of the Indies, like uh, Southside, now part of Rev Pro. He was their champion for a long while, and you no, know, he drew crowds. But you no, know, something between the jump from Southside and their five, six, seven. I mean, Christ, Southside's drawing big, drew bigger crowds than next to UK does now for tapings. No, and you know back when Southside were doing five six hundred crowds, people didn't consider him a big indie. And now he's on no extra UK, a couple of hundred people for TV tapes, which again, thing just shows you how you no know, things have gone to shit since you no know, NXT UK's you no know, grown. But um, but yeah, I mean, like I say, potentially we're looking at about four months, and that's assuming the July tapings go ahead. Four months of best ofs of you no know, dragging every last drop of content out of what they've got on tape. Um, and of course, there's the other option is they just completely drop NXT cold, or you know, maybe just do straight out reruns. Um, I think a lot of it depends on you know, where the British government goes with their lockdown strategy. Um, you know, I believe it's this time next week they're due to reassess what's going on. In terms of do they not keep it as is? Do they light restrictions? Personally, I think we've got this for at least another month. Uh, just going the way all the data is going. Um, but yeah, even then, you know, there's a big gap between people being allowed to, you know, a few more shops being allowed to open and, you know, wrestlers traveling from all over Europe to a, you know, an arena in Scotland to tape, you know, two nights of TV in. The crowd would maybe packed or maybe socially distanced. Yeah. Um, You know, in terms of the progress and other stuff, I would not be surprised if they had to, if they started doing more themed best of episodes. Like Andy Shepard pops up in his living room with his little fucking laptop and says, you know, this week we got Pete Dunn on the Skype and we're going to talk about some of Pete's favorite matches from the UK scene prior to when he signed with WWE and we get two or three matches from these companies or whatever. And then, I mean, I would not be surprised because I mean, I think they're going to be kind of forced into it because no offense to NXT UK. Ian, I mean, we cover it all the time, but even if you count in the takeovers, there's only so much quote unquote best of NXT UK you can do because yeah, it's I mean, only 18 months old. And even tonight, they were literally stretching that. I mean, you know, you're talking about going back through you know, other part of the promotions archives. You know, in one sense, it might hurt, but it absolutely would not be a bad idea if, you know, they were going towards uh, Walter versus Dragonov in Dublin. Um, I'm looking at cage match now, you know, and just a quick glance, you've got, you know, this is just in the past two and a bit years. Um, one, two, three matches of Walter and Ilya they have on tape just from WXW. They did one in progress last summer. So there's four matches they have on tape that they could just throw out there and go, you know what, this is what we're going to give you. Here's what they've done elsewhere. Just imagine what they're going to do when we get back to normal. Exactly. I, I, think, I, I don't think it's the worst idea because, I mean, you're kind of pressed into it right now. Again, NXT UK doesn't have the ability like NXT proper in the U.S. to pop everybody into the Florida Performance Center because, as you mentioned, not everybody is centrally located like they are here in the U.S. And the fact of the matter is, like, tonight we got the old Superstars picture-in-picture promos. It literally was that, you know, varying degrees of picture quality. I mean, 
by God, that first one was with Tyler Bates. Was that filmed on a Rev Pro potato? I believe so. I mean, I normally wouldn't want to criticize that bad, but yes. Because, like, you know, you know, you've got in the States, obviously, yeah, we'll have the editing teams and what have you. They were able to do video packages. Obviously, AEW's been doing video packages. But when the UK brand is literally, hi, I've got my cell phone. I'm doing a promo like everybody else. You know, someone would sell on Cameo or whatever you call it these days. And then just plops in on picture in picture. If that's, okay, this may be in one week. Quick, we need to do something. But if we're still here in two, three weeks and we're still getting the old superstars picture in picture promos, I would have a lot of grave doubts because, okay, you don't need a massive TV studio. But at the same time, you know, you've seen you know, a lot of promos where it literally is on a camera and they've been able to, you know, edit stuff in. But if they're just dropping in, hey, send me a video clip in WhatsApp, we'll post this, you know, edit it in on a TV show. Uh, I think the um, creativity or lack thereof for the next month and how they present these clip shows will probably, you know, highlight where they're going to be going with this. Yeah, and I think just kind of in closing, the one thing I hope is that... Uh... When everything normalizes and this brand gets to tape again and get back on track, I really hope that they can do so with kind of a renewed focus and actual plans because as we've talked about, I mean, some of these guys are just so stale right now. And it has nothing to do with their talent level. It's just the presentation and where they are on the card or where they aren't on the card. Like they're a lot of them are just in the same place. Like we kind of joked about Joe coffee and Gallus and the other fucking uh, dudes that they've been facing, like the same guys. I mean, we said, well, no, maybe the last time we chatted about this, but when NXT UK got renewed to be dealing with UK, NXT UK got on proper TV channels in this country from the Paramount network, from BT sport. And you no, know, I honestly thought that on BT Sport, not uh, not getting some kind of, um, not some kind of push with BT. It wasn't just hey, it's suddenly on the background. No, watch it or not, we don't care. No, I genuinely thought they would put some kind of focus on and make that more than main event because pretty much that, this it is what it is. It's main event with British wrestlers. Um, no. No, I do. If you follow me on Twitter at Big Back Body Drop, I go through the TV ratings that are made available. Um, and it's only been the last few weeks when, funny enough, nothing else is on BT Sport, but NXT UK is actually drawing a rating. The only problem is the rating they're drawing is about twenty or 30,000 viewers, which, okay, isn't great. I mean, compared to like the last data we have, uh, Raw live on a Monday night, 67,000 viewers. Smackdown Live on a Friday night, 63,000 viewers. NXT UK, okay, it's a replay. This is a day after it's been on the network. Getting only 30,000 viewers in a better time slot than on Smackdown kind of tells you where that brand sits. It's a solid number four, which, you know, when the whole thing is NXT UK is our brand, it's for us, and it's not really capturing the attention. But then again, you know, in my mind, and I don't be a cynic, if they didn't put focus behind it when it got put on normal broadcast TV in the UK, I don't expect it's going to come out of this you know, with any kind of renewed focus either. Well, we can hope, Ian, because we are two of the few that cover this. I think it's me, you, maybe, whoever posted this off, uh, Peter Blue Insider, uh, whoever's... I think, 
I should know because I see him twice here in Germany. He's Marcus for F4W covers it. And I think that's about it. Like, even people I know, you know who watch everything in the UK, they you know, at best hand wave NXT UK. And these are guys who go to, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 shows a year under normal circumstances. Barely watch race. So, you know, what's that telling you? But even in times of pandemic, when all of the live sports uh, aren't on, people will rather watch older content than the last new stuff you've got. That tells you that there's no goodwill and there's no faith. Hopefully that changes when we come off the other side of this. And believe me, we will come off the other side of this. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because, again, as we talked, I mean, there's definitely a lot of talent on this brand. And it's just, it needs to be focused on and it needs to be just produced better. Because it's, there, there, again, too much talent. And like we said, like one of the biggest things going into this latest takeover is we had no idea what they were doing with the tag titles. Because there was no hint on TV. There was no direction on TV about what they were doing. I mean, looking at the cage match things, um, like we said from TakeOver Blackpool, you had, obviously, uh, Gallus retained them at a ladder match. They had one tag team match against uh, Only Lork and Danny Birch in York. It was in the January tapings. And in the March tapings, they were in a trios match against uh, Big Dave Master, Flash Morgan, Webster, and Trent Seven. So unless they, you know, their tag title match was going to be, you know, Trent and Flash and thrown in the very last minute, which if I was going to be the case, well, you know, it, it would have been throwaway. But again, you know, you've got, you go through the roster, there's no tag teams that they've built up. You know, the Hunt, who I thought were going to, you know, maybe beat, you know, the Grizzled Young Veterans on the way out, they were squashed. Like the Hunt were left doing dark matches, you know, uh, Huxley and T-Bone, they're no longer a pair. You know, Ash and Smith, Oliver Carter, they're you not know, being paired up, but they are kind of slotted as opening match guys. And the only teams you've got left are the guys who've already had tag title shots and lost. So, again, I you know, I don't know if they were planning something else or if they had a surprise. Obviously, we haven't seen what, they plan, what the plans were for, for Dublin. I don't think we will see what the plans were for Dublin because by the time we go back to, uh, I think it's October where when we do the Dublin shows, you know, whatever they planned is going to be off window. I mean, Christ was talk of uh, Becky Lynch angling to be on most shows, but I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been the case if it'd been in two weeks' time. Yeah, so uh, hard to say, man. But um, I don't know. Just um, hopefully it rebounds. But that's kind of the. Uh, that is the state of NXT UK right now. It's, uh, again, very unfortunate. Um, not the most important thing in the world, also. I mean, it is just pro wrestling. I don't want to, you know, make it like a big national emergency. But I think it's important that, you know, we kind of talk about this from time to time. And it's uh, part of it is because it's a brand that's undercovered. And part of it is because Ian and I put a lot of time into it. And we do like talking about it. And some people think we both hate it, but absolutely it's not the case. Now, the whole theme of this has always been plenty of talent, just somehow they find ways to get the least out of them, which in itself is a massive achievement. Exactly. So we'll, um, we'll see how things go, Ian, and um, hopefully there is something interesting uh, happening soon anywhere that you and I can get back and talk about, because normally I would have you on and we'd talk some New Japan or something, but we have no New Japan. 
Yeah, no New Japan till next month at least. I mean, the show's out, you should go to live. Uh, Ref Pro, they've cancelled through all, all the way through May. I think they were doing... And we're doing David Starr and Will Ospreay the show in uh, May Bank Holiday Weekend in month's time. That looks very much like that's not going to be happening. Uh, they're doing Eddie Kingston, Zack Sabre Jr. again. That pretty much is not happening at this point, it seems. Um, I think those go. I think the next, ticket I've got, the next shows I've got a ticket for, probably looking for my birthday weekend in July, which is a lot more depressing than it probably should be, <laughs> given you know, how many people being affected in the world with what's going on. But, yeah, all I can say is, you know, if you listen to this, you know, both myself and Larry, you know, God knows how much uh, writing done about wrestling, whether it's the WWE Network, whether it's you know, Demand Progress, WXW Now, Rev Pro Demand, High Spots, IWTV. There's tons of content out there. There's plenty of stuff to distract yourself from because Lord knows watching with Sky News, Fox News, any of the rolling news coverage of this will absolutely send you batshit crazy. Plenty to watch. Just look back at you know, myself and Larry's reviews. Find some up there that we like, that you like. You know, get yourself away from, from the real world. You know, if you're trapped indoors, you may as well make the best of it. Dude, I was so hard up for New Japan stuff that not only was I hitting some reviews of some of the cool matches they were putting up, like, they put up some of the cool uh, Prince Devitt and Omega stuff and Apollo 55 stuff and uh, the really great Prince Devitt-Gato match. I even did the New Japan USA stuff. Oh, God. You never go that far. I mean, I I've, I've, I I've made a point of not covering the USA brand because, to me, you know, when they run in 300-seater arenas that don't sell out, that brand was never going to take off and... Okay, it's definitely nice for now. Hey, hey, but... there were 500 people at those shows, goddammit. Crazy for counting. <laughs> I mean, Christ, the US champion can't even wrestle on the US shows. I know, I know. But yeah, I it... just, I needed shit to review. Don't judge me. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I'm struggling. I mean, I think I mean, what I've been trying to do, obviously I'm going back at the old Wesley shotguns. So if you want to watch along, you know, join me. I've been trying to keep a list of um, best of some VOD services, dropped a list from WXW Now, going back the last few years, and help. there's a, you know, a good two dozen shows there, you know, plenty of matches on those shows. I'm not picking out shows for sake of it. I'm you know, calling out shows with good matches, so if you just watch good in-ring wrestling, I've got a good two, three dozen shows from WXW alone. Progress, I think I went back over two years of their uh, video library, a similar number, maybe 20, 30, 40 really good matches to watch. And even not for kind of sits down and sits through whole sh- whole shows two, three hours long. You know, go in, find, you know, have a look through those. I'll pick out, you know, pick out the wrestlers you like, pick out wrestlers you may have heard of and never seen before. Plenty of good stuff on tape. And, you know, the, the age we're in now where every promotion's got a VOD library, it's a damn sight more accessible than the old days where you had to have walls of videotapes and, you know, a good knack for fast forward button. So, now, technology's there. It's making this a lot easier for all of us to get through. And if you like wrestling, well, okay, maybe nothing new to watch, but there's a damn, a damn lots of you know, good older content, which, you know, even if you don't get in the storylines, still good wrestling to watch. That's right. So everybody go check out Ian's work at backbodydrop.com. Uh, Ian, thank you again. It's always good talking to you, buddy. No worries, and stay safe, Larry. You too. So uh, everybody hang on here, and uh, as we wrap up this portion... Jerome Cusan is going to join me, and we're going to talk Dark Side of the Ring on the Brawl for All. 
All right, welcome back to our next segment of the show. Joining me once again since we're talking Dark Side of the Ring is Jerome Kison. Jerome, how are you, my friend? I am doing fairly well, Larry. And the one thing that excites me the most is that of all the 40-minute wrestling-related programs I could have watched this week, I'm glad it was Dark Side of the Ring and not Tommaso Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano. Fair enough, Jerome. And so I do not forget later on, Please shout out where everybody can listen to your other podcasting endeavors before we begin. Yeah, because this is this is my life. My life is just sitting in front of a computer talking to people, and sometimes it gets recorded and sometimes it doesn't. Hopefully my student hopefully I am never in front of a computer and my students hear when I'm recording stuff like this, or uh, when I grade their papers, hopefully my computer is not on and mysteriously recording me as I grade their papers. Cause there's a lot of four letter F there's a lot of four letter words that get used, Larry, a lot of four letter words. Trust me. I understand this. I'm watching my wife grade from home right now. <laughs> uh, we could have a grading zoom party and there will be alcohol involved. Very true. Or what we could do, Larry, is we could organize our students together and do a shoot tournament. That would be a great idea, wouldn't it? Sure. Couldn't be any worse than the Brawl for All. That's for sure. I I have to be honest. I remember watching the Brawl for All in 1998 as a 13-year-old child, and I don't think I really got it. Like, I think I had some idea that this was supposed to be – it's kind of boxing. It's kind of, quote-unquote, tough man. And I do remember the, the idea of the tough man competition. I think – didn't FX, like, have these random, like, tough man tournaments that Butterbean was involved in? Because I definitely have recollections of this from around this time period, but I don't think I – understood that the brawl for all was an actual shoot yeah it's it's weird dude it's a, a weird thing at the time but yeah go ahead and shout out the podcasting places where they can find you and we will begin so yeah uh people can find me doing reviews of superhero movies they can go to enter the real world.com or you can search superhero pantheon on your favorite podcasting platforms and make sure that you go and do that because we are going to be coming to the end of our run and we are reviewing a number of 2019 films including glass shazam hellboy dark phoenix as well as the mcu captain marvel spider-man as well as well as of course avengers endgame there may not be a superhero movie to see for quite a while so definitely go back and check those episodes out. And Kevin Ford and I are Kevin Ford, former 411 writer, and you're another one of your buddies. We are doing a Breaking Bad podcast, and you can also check that out. It is called Real Bad. We've talked about the first three seasons. Our episode on season four will be coming out at the beginning of May. And Larry, like I said, this is what I do. I just record podcasts and uh, with my friends, and this is a great great pretext for talking about high quality content, including the brawl for all. That's right. So dark side of the ring season two continued on episode three, looking at the famed WWF brawl for all, which was for lack of a better term, a quote unquote shoot fighting tournament held by the world wrestling federation between June and August of 1998. Uh, it was the creation of Vince Russo, obviously, the Brawl for All resulted in several legit injuries to WWF performers, was received very negatively, and it pretty much sucked. That is a fairly accurate description. Now, what I'm going to do is, is 
So I want to make it clear that I do not like Vince Russo. And in fact, I could probably write a book about the ways that Vince Russo's influence has ruined every professional wrestling company for the last 22 years. And I could probably do it fairly easily just by going back and watching episodes of Raw and Nitro in the late 90s and even some of ECW and the WWF, WWE, as this has gone on over the years. But on this on this podcast episode, I'm actually going to kind of play a devil's advocate role. And I'm not necessarily going to defend everything that Vince Russo has done, but I'm going to I'm going to take a different path here and and try to do something a little bit different. So was it bad? Yes. Was it terrible for the performers? Yes. But I think we have to talk. We have to start by talking about where the brawl for all came from, and one of the things that Vince Russo does well, and yes, he does do some things well, is one of the things that I appreciate about Vince Russo is he is one of the few promoters, bookers, writers, whatever term you want to use, who actually seem to be genuinely interested in developing the entire card that. He was. He seemed genuinely interested in having everybody have a character. Everybody had something to do on his shows. Was it always good? It was not. But he, I, I firmly believe that he took some performers and elevated them in specific ways. I think of a Bob Holly. He was Bob Sparkplug Holly for a number of years. And then he became Hardcore Holly when Vince Russo was the head writer. And look, those Hardcore matches from 1999 have not aged well. But I am a firm believer that Hardcore Holly was able to have a decade-plus-long career because of the transition that was made and the fact that he did have a character. So So I think that what he does with this tournament is he is genuinely trying to build the mid card up and even someone like the Godfather who Charles Wright has been a number of characters in the WWF up to this point, Papa Shango comma, none of those people ever got over. But when we got the Godfather and the Godfather is not a character that is aged very well. If you were to tell me who one of the most over character was in 1999, I would tell you it's the Godfather. And the Godfather should never have been the WWF champion. But I guarantee you that when he came out, he got one of the largest reactions in the building. And this was for a guy who was in the mid card. So I think when we talk about this tournament and it being a disaster, I think we have to come at it from a place of Vince Russo is at least trying to do something with the mid card. And that is something that I cannot say that a lot of promotions have done a very good job of since. I will not disagree with you on that. That is one of the few things that Vince Russo did do well. The thing that turns me off of him is the start of this show. Where, to me, it felt like the first five minutes of this show is basically Vince Russo sucking his own dick on Device Network. Yeah, oh, I was a writer. I I, I made all these suggestions. I'm like the greatest guy in the world, blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, okay, I understand you're always going to put yourself over, but come on. I just, I don't need that. Tell me where you were coming from. That's all I want to know about. Tell me why you thought it was a good idea. That's the stuff I really wanted him to focus on. But to your point, he did try to get uh, mid-card acts over. He tried to give people things to do. And the funny thing is, for as much as I dislike Vince Russo... I probably like JBL as a human being way more. 
And basically, Vince Russo admits the Brawl for All was a way to humiliate JBL. Because JBL would sit there as Bradshaw backstage and talk a bunch of shit about how if this was real, he would whoop everybody's ass. The JBL stuff is fascinating to me because I cannot stand John Bradshaw Layfield as a human being. I don't like him as a wrestler. I think he is just repulsive in almost every way. And the fact that he is a bully backstage only further lends credence to the fact that he, I think he's he's human excrement. And one of the reasons that I stopped watching pro wrestling in 2004 specifically was because they gave him the WWE title. And that that is how much I dislike JBL, that he single-handedly basically robbed me of any enjoyment that I got from wrestling at the time. So I think in, in watching this through 2020 eyes, the idea that Vince Russo would basically want to hurt JBL, again, I find that to be repulsive. That is not good, regardless of what you think of JBL. But I think in 1998, I think keeping things in context... I think it was just more acceptable. I think it was more this kind of behavior is not something that only Vince Russo would do. I guarantee you that Jim Ross and Jim Cornette, as much as they would bitch and moan about Vince Russo, they would advocate for this in very different ways. And the only difference is that because Vince Russo wanted it, that's why they don't like it. But I guarantee you can find examples of Ross and Cornette advocating for wrestlers to get quote unquote receipts or other things like that. So I really don't want to hear it from them. They are not credible voices when it comes to attacking Vince Russo for that specific reason. So during this special, we got comments from Bart Gunn, who won the Brawl for All, the Godfather, Charles Wright, and Darren Drozdov, who, as we all remember, was not only in the tournament, but was later paralyzed and had his career ended in a match with D'Lo Brown. And from everything we could see, I mean, Draws generally looks pretty happy in life, which was nice to see. Yeah, I think it was it was good to see. I'll be honest, I had forgotten that he was still alive. And with these wrestling specials, it's always very dicey about who's living and who isn't. So when I saw that Draws was alive, I was genuinely surprised. And yeah, I mean, it's good that he is still able to have a life of some sort 20 years later. That's right. So they talk about this brawl for all where they allege that all of the pairings in the tournament were random, including um, comments from Bruce Pritchard's um, podcast where he broke down the brawl for all. And all I have to say in regards to this is I don't believe a goddamn word Bruce Pritchard says because he is like the ultimate con man. I find him uh, completely full of shit at all times. I am not a Bruce Pritchard fan. I listened to one episode of his podcast and determined that he was full of shit, and I have not listened to a minute of it since. Yes. And I would just like to state for the record that the superior Pritchard is Dr. Tom Pritchard, obviously. I think we agree on that. So they go into talk about this tournament, and, you know, the the whole thing is... They were doing these as real fights. It was a mishmash of boxing slash kind of MMA roles because there were takedowns and stuff, but they were wearing gloves. Just a lot of poor choices were made, including one that we kind of talked about before we went on the air was PCO legit in a fight and he has one usable eye. Who thought this was a good idea? 
uh, Vince Russo, Vince McMahon. I mean, it's easy to just throw Vince Russo under the bus, but the buck has always stopped with Vince McMahon. Even in 1998 and 99, the writing is very clearly different, but Vince McMahon is still the man in charge, and he's the one that allows that to happen. I'm a firm believer that regardless of anything that goes on in the WWF, you can look at Pritchard, Cornette, Ross, Russo, the blame always goes to the top. And I agree with that. That's a, they are all to blame. It was just such a bad choice. Very lucky he did not get severely hurt in that. Um, thankfully, they were untrained real fighters. Um, one of the things that was always the big story and I, I guess like urban legend of the Brawl for All was that this was designed for Dr. Death Steve Williams to win. And... Let me say this before I go into this, and I don't know if you'll disagree or not, but I I was a big Dr. Death fan in his prime. Dr. Death was a badass. I love the Miracle Violence connection. I love a ton of his Japan work. But that was Dr. Death Steve Williams in his prime. 1998, Dr. Death Steve Williams, no matter how much Jim Ross wants to wank off about his boy, wants to tell you that he's still like the baddest motherfucker in the world. He wasn't. Dr. Death was not the Dr. Death of old. He was a badass. He could be great, but he wasn't that anymore. And the whole thing coming out of this was the big rumor was he was going to be a big main event star when he won the Brawl for All. He was going to feud with Steve Austin. And let me say this. At this stage of his career, he was not going to be a main event star. At best, they would have got one pay-per-view match as challenger out of the month of the month out of Steve Williams, and that would have been been it. No matter how much Jim Ross and Jim Cornette want to tell you that Dr. Death was going to be this big main eventer in 1998. I don't find that to be fact, and I love Dr. Death Jerome. I am neutral on Dr. Death. I think when I came into being a fan of professional wrestling, he was mostly wrestling in Japan in the, at that time. He was past his both of his WCW and WA runs. So the, the amount of Steve Williams that I had seen at this point was pretty much limited uh, to what he was doing in the Brawl for All. And of course, I saw some of that and his WCW work in 99. So I guess I'm more neutral on Dr. Death, but based on everything that I understand about Dr. Death, the idea that they would put him in a feud with Steve Austin at this time is pretty much absurd to me because if you just run down the cards, just go from let's say August of 98 to December of 98, Steve Austin and the undertaker was the main event of SummerSlam 1998. And that is probably one of their biggest main event ever's. And I cannot imagine a scenario where you replace the undertaker with Dr. Death. That just seems absurd to me. So you've got that. Then in September, they did undertaker Kane and Steve Austin. And look, that was not a great match, but it was part of the story that they were telling. And they got the belt off of Steve Austin. Then the next month they do the undertaker and Kane with Steve Austin as the special guest referee. Again, not a great match, but it, it sold out the Allstate Arena slash Rosemont Horizon at the time and was part of the story that they were telling with Steve Austin and Vince McMahon. Survivor Series 1998 is probably Vince Russo's coup de grace because it elevated both The Rock and Mankind into the WWF title picture and 
rehack the screw job and turn the rock into a big heel and into a major single star. There is nothing in there that lends me to believe that Dr. Death would, could outdraw any of them. And that's why I find this idea of Dr. Death being positioned for Steve Austin to be a complete urban legend. There is no way that Jim Ross and Jim Cornette are telling the truth. Yeah, I think it's a, a big example of them trying to protect their boys still, even in 2020. And it's just, again, I like Dr. Death, man. But like you said, you kind of broke down where the pay-per-view pattern was going. Where the hell does Steve Williams in 1998 fit into that? There's just, like you said, there's kind of no way. You're not replacing Undertaker with him. I, yeah, it's, um, it's crazy. So the Godfather joins us and starts talking about how he smoked a lot of pot during this time and was... Always getting high, including before his fight with Dan Severn. Which he ended up losing. But that leads to Dan Severn dropping out of the tournament because he didn't want his reputation hurt as a UFC fighter. Dan Severn, the smartest man out of everybody in this. Dan Severn's a genius for pulling out of this tournament because he knew he knew the possibility that he could get his ass and just knocked out by an errant punch because people don't know what they're doing and the referees aren't going to help. And yeah, he's a, he's a very wise man. So, and then you get Cornette. He starts talking about how Vince McMahon played with the matchmaking. I'm shocked there. And that leads to Vince Russo, despite the fact that everybody's getting injured during this shoot fighting experience. Still defending the whole idea based on the fact that Vince McMahon just didn't pull the plug. Which is fair on one hand because, I mean, Vince was the end-all be-all. But, like, you're still defending your idea as you're seeing these guys suffer legit injuries. So maybe take a step back and realize the idea isn't that good. We appreciate you trying to make guys and, you know, give mid-carters a gimmick and everything and some time on TV, but... It just wasn't working, and maybe, you know, yeah, it it all ends with Vince, and he should have pulled the plug, but I I don't know. I just, I don't know how you look back and still defend it, and the funniest thing is, like, they show him watching, like, clips of the Brawl for All, and he's like, I'm still captivated to this day, and I'm like, how? It's really bad. I mean, maybe it's one of those things where he enjoyed it in kind of the way that you enjoy a B-level horror movie, like it's or the car crash theory that you're just going to engage with it because it's a car crash. I mean, look, I mean, you use the metaphor of Vince Russo sucking his own dick, and I think that is uh, that is another example of it. But again, I again, I'm not defending Vince Russo, but I mean, to an extent, Jim Cornette and Jim Ross are kind of doing the same thing. Oh, they are very much. So I, I, I just I really like to point that out because I think it's really important to keep that in context because as much as Vince Russo is disliked and I think all of it is deserved, I think what we've ultimately learned is that those three came across like complete workers in this entire thing. I mean, I, I want to I'm going to use the phrase it seemed like they were just on quote unquote and they're still trying to promote their agenda and their belief system about pro wrestling or whatever. And they very much feel like they are still either trying to get in the business, stay in the business, have their own spin on the business. You contrast that with Bart Gunn. Bart Gunn just seems like a dude. Bart Gunn just seems like a normal guy. He doesn't seem like he has a lot of agendas at this point in his life because he's been out of it. And he just seems like somebody who 
is melancholy about the opportunities he didn't get. But ultimately, he just seems like a regular human being who is not going to threaten somebody over a voicemail. Agreed. And that's, the, yeah, I, Jim Ross, Jim Cornette, Vince Russo, none of them come off particularly well in this episode at all. To where, like you said, Bart Gunn, Darren Drozdov, considering all the stuff they've gone through, very different terms, of course, but they just come off, like you said, as regular guys. Thankful for what they got, a little upset about what was taken away, but not jaded, not upset. Just talking about it. And like Bart Gunn, like he starts talking about how he has the inevitable matchup with Dr. Death in this tournament. And, you know, everybody's asking him backstage about what he thinks. And he's like, I'm going to try to knock him out because he wants to win because he's a guy and that's what he wants to do. And everybody just mocks him backstage for this. And then he goes on and he ends up beating Dr. Death. And I actually went back and watched this one because I had forgotten exactly how it went. But if you're watching this one, Dr. Death is largely controlling this. And then he suffers a torn hamstring and he gets knocked the fuck out. And the Dr. Death dream is over, Jerome. I mean, it's an incredible moment, even in the documentary, to just see this person that almost has a mythic quality to him just get knocked out, whether it was a lucky punch or whatever the reason. I mean, it still happened. I mean, the same thing with Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson. You know, Buster Douglas is this one in a, one in a 100 million shot, and he just lands the right combination, and he beats Tyson. And it's the same thing here. You just – you can never tell. I'm sure UFC – has countless examples where somebody got lucky. They locked in a submission and got it and won a fight, or they hit the right punch and just knocked someone out. It just happens. That's what happens when the fights are real, is you cannot control the result, and something like this is going to happen, where Bart Gunn is pissed off that people are... T- Larry, if, if you and I are going to fight, and people are telling you all day long that I am going to knock you out... You're going to get so pissed off that you're going to be motivated. You're going to have that adrenaline flowing. And the odds of you knocking me out will go up exponentially just because you're pissed off. Well, I mean, you also have to consider that, I mean, until this year's was canceled, I used to fight in the Kumite, Jerome, so I'd fucking wreck you. But yeah, no. you would, you would, you would kick my ass. Knowing <laughs> no. that, yeah, you would be, you would beat my ass. No, but I mean, for real, I mean, that's right. I mean, this dude was just mocked. He said by like everybody backstage, like people would ask him and he'd say it and they'd just laugh at him. I mean, and I'm not just talking about in terms of wrestlers, but like in terms of a man, when somebody just totally downplays you at every turn, like you said, you're going to get pissed off. That adrenaline's going to amp up. And Bart Gunn, like, the other thing is, he had nothing to lose. Because he had talked about, like, you know, he had split from Billy Gunn, and he was just unsure of himself. He didn't know what they were going to do with him. He felt uncomfortable. He looked at this whole thing as an opportunity. And he seized it. He knocks out Dr. Death. And then you got Jim Cornette ranting about how he thinks it cost the WWE $5 million. Which I laughed maniacally at. I'm like, come on, dude. I mean, I like Dr. Death and all, but it's 1998, Jim. Get it through your head. And, you know, Jim Ross is super defensive about his boy getting knocked out. To this day. 
let's be honest, Steve Austin was the draw. If they if they put a care versus Steve Austin in 1998, it was going to draw five million dollars. Yeah, I mean Steve. You know, so I mean it's just yeah, it's just it cracked me up. And these guys were still so defensive to this day. I mean, I don't know if part of it is that unfortunately Steve Williams is no longer with us. I don't know if that's part of it. I would like to think not, but I mean, it's just, it was absurd. It really was. You know, Bart Gunn goes on, he KOs the Godfather, who suffered a severe leg injury during the match, had a bad infection and couldn't walk afterwards. So another bad injury there. Bart Gunn knocks the shit out of JBL to win the whole thing. And Vince Russo is very proud of himself to this day about this result. I mean, that what a knockout that was. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to come off like a monster for saying this, but even I kind of enjoyed that knockout because it was glorious. I mean, it looked great. It really did. So you have Bart Gunn now. He wins the brawl for all. He, I mean, it's wrestling, so I don't know what to believe. He allegedly wins $75,000. And he's thrilled that he won, and he's hoping that this is finally going to be his chance. He's going to get the big push. He beat Dr. Death, but he knew he'd probably have some heat over it. And he got sent home for a while because basically they didn't know how to present him. And it's kind of sad when the fact that you had like Dan Severin and to a lesser degree, Steve Blackman, and then you had Ken Shamrock in there and stuff like that. You didn't know how to push a guy is like a pseudo shoot fighter that could knock people out. I mean, even if you don't put him against Steve Austin, there is no reason to think that he couldn't be in the mid card as a, a tough guy. That's that's the thing that gets me about this is that, look, Bart Gunn is not a charismatic guy, but there are a lot of uncharismatic people who have been in pro wrestling and have had very fine careers. And look, maybe you don't put Bart Gunn against Steve Austin, but why can't you put Bart Gunn against Steve Blackman or Ken Shamrock and have them feud or put him against other smaller wrestlers and do things like that? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's not fake. I'm not going to use that term, but wrestling is, you can do whatever you want. You can build and present people however you choose to present them. And the idea that you just don't know what to do with Bart Gunn, if I'm in, if I'm in a room full of writers and the writers tell me that they don't know what to do with someone, then I'm going to fire the writers and bring in new writers who know what to do. Because that's part of your job is to know how to present people. Like that is part of how you function as a, as a writing team. And if you don't know, then you shouldn't be there. So to me, I, I just find this idea absurd, and it's even more absurd when you consider the fact that JBL was a tag team wrestler for basically the next six years, and then they turn on the switch, and all of a sudden he's the WWE champion two months after the APA got broken up. And that's the sad thing, as we've learned over the, over the years, is WWE can pull the switch on anybody when they want. Despite yeah, it's Despite poor booking or slotting in a tag team, like you said... They can do it. It's like, how hard is it after this dude KOs a bunch of tough guys to throw him on Raw every night, knocking out geeks in 30 seconds? 
Yeah, and then maybe you do a match where maybe he's wrestling for the Intercontinental title. Or maybe you do that long enough, and maybe a year later he's ready to wrestle for the WWF title at a one-off pay-per-view. You don't know. You don't know what you have because just like they've done for the last 20 years or so, they cut him off at the knees before they could ever really give him a chance. Yeah, it just it made no sense to me. But like, and like, like you said, Bart Gunn versus Steve Austin didn't feel realistic even when he won this. But again, you didn't have to do it right away because as you elaborated on earlier, those pay-per-views were planned out. They knew where they were going. They ended up with Rock and Foley and everything. You could have been building up Bart Gunn this entire time. But they sent him home. And it's just dumbfounding to me how you don't have this dude knocking out enhancement dudes every week. And then he starts working through the lower card. And then maybe he becomes European hardcore intercontinental champion, whatever. And then again, maybe in a year he is ready for Steve Austin. Because we've been watching Bart Gunn knock geeks out for fucking 12 months. It's not really rocket science. It's very easy storytelling that they just kind of refuse to do. Yeah, it's just, it's bizarre to me, just the way that he gets treated, and you just, you don't know. I mean, look at Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre was a geek, and he got to main event WrestleMania, and, like, he's the WWE Universal Champion now. So it's, you can present people however you want, it's just a matter of who's, who do you want to get behind, and I think that's been a consistent theme of WWE, is that they have their set model in some cases, literally, of what they want and who they like. And if you don't fit into that, then you're just not going to get the same opportunities as somebody else. I mean, Drew McIntyre has literally gotten a million opportunities, and it finally stuck off after all this time. If they put in half the work on a guy like Ricochet or Cedric Alexander, then maybe they could get just as over as Drew McIntyre has. Sorry to sidetrack, but... No, I, just I mean, that, that's wishful thinking. <laughs> and the, the thing is, too, is like, I'm not saying Bart Gunn would have been a big star, but the fact that there was absolutely no real effort put into trying is what's dumbfounding. Yeah, I mean, you could have accidentally, like, you have this horrible tournament that's really bad, and maybe you redeem this in some way so that you can at least do your, your fake WWE documentary and be like, yeah, the Brawl for All was a huge success because Bart Gunn became a star. And it would have been nice. And then we fu- we had the man Butterbean join the show. I'm so glad they interviewed Butterbean. If they didn't, I was going to be pissed. I was too. You are not kidding. I loved it. Butterbean flat out says like first thing that he feels like he was brought in to punish Bart Gunn for- on behalf of the company. <laughs> I mean, he lays it out there. I mean, I certainly don't disagree with him. I think he's absolutely right. And they set up the the WrestleMania clash with Bart Gunn, the Brawl for All winner versus Butterbean, who was a... He he won, like, all those uh, wacky, like, uh, tough man tournaments and then became... He became, for lack of a better word, he was a boxing star on all those late ESPN shows, knocking fools out in two rounds... And nobody's going to claim that Butterbean was a great tactical boxer. But he was a big dude with a big, powerful right hand. And he did have classical boxing training. Bart Gunn takes this match because he's sick of sitting at home and he just wants a shot. 
And he goes into real boxing training for it. And so they face at WrestleMania. And Butterbean actually says he thought that WrestleMania was really cool. He destroys young Bart Gunn here. He admits that Bart Gunn's mistake was trying to box with him because... <coughs> Excuse me. He said, um, if anything, Bart Gunn should have basically stayed with what brought him to the dance and stayed with a more brawling style because when he tried to get technical with him... He wasn't good enough, and Butterbean's power just overwhelmed him, and that's basically what happened. Uh, the impression that I get is that Bart Gunn got in his own head, and he tried to play Butterbean's game, and that's why he lost. Yeah. So this was pretty much it for Bart Gunn in the U.S. Yeah, and the the documentary does not go into the fact that Bart Gunn basically had a second career in Japan because he knocked Steve Williams out. That's right. So it's... It's interesting. He did do some indies, and I want to mention Cassius Ono shared a story on Twitter about Bart Gunn. He said that Bart Gunn, this is on his Twitter, you guys can find it, said Bart Gunn made some appearances for IWA Mid-South in 2001-2002. He left his Brawl for All trophy in the locker room. I'm guessing he wasn't bothered enough to return and get it back because it just sat in that Charlestown locker room until we stopped using that building. On our final night in the House of Hardcore, February 9th, 2002, um, Bart's Brawl for All trophy was used as a deadly weapon in the Corporal Robinson versus Necro Butcher versus Madman Pondo main event. Outstanding. I don't know why, but that, trophy. That, that story amused me. But um, So yeah, as you mentioned, you know, Bart Gunn does go on. He has a second career. He works a shit ton in all Japan. He works for a while in New Japan. He even has two MMA fights. He beats Wesley Cabbage Correa at Rumble with the Rock in less than two minutes, quicker than Bump, uh, Butterbean had beat uh, Correa, and was um, offered a match with Butterbean on four days' notice, which he refused because he wanted a training camp. Uh, he did have one other MMA fight where he lost to the legendary Minimal Man at uh, Pride Bushido 13. Uh, you know, a unanimous decision at that. He made one more wrestling appearance in a WWE Battle Royal in 2007, and that, uh, that was it for Bart Gunn. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you don't even know how to classify his story because it's not necessarily a guarantee that he was going to be a huge star, but there is a little bit of that, like, what-if factor that I think plays into this. And, yeah, he's just an electrician. That's all he does is with his life and you can certainly understand why he shifted a lot of his attention away from wrestling. I can understand why someone like Bart Gunn would be unhappy with the business because of the way that his WWF tenure ended. It's just, it's uh, it's really unfortunate, but uh, we do have to talk about something that occurred in this documentary that is not Bart Gunn related, but is a stain on the wrestling business. Go right ahead. So Vince Russo Okay, so I'm not going to say it this way because it seems to me, this is how it comes across to me, and Larry, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jim Cornette still very much holds a grudge against Vince Russo. This is a story that he has told many times, but he goes into detail about the voicemail that he left to Vince Russo where he basically threatened his life, and it comes off very poorly. Jim Cornette comes comes off like a complete maniac. And regardless of what you think of Vince Russo, regardless of whether you think he's a good person, a bad person, 
a terrible person, a shitty booker, whatever. There is nothing that he has done or that the documentary has indicated to show that he deserves this kind of treatment from Jim Cornette. And I, I really don't like the fact that the documentary portrayed this at all. I, to me, the, the, this documentary should have been focused on the people that were in the tournament. I mean, to me, they didn't even talk about PCO and how PCO has found a second life for himself in the last 20 years. I would have rather see that two minutes go to talking about him or literally anybody else involved with this tournament as opposed to focusing on Vince Russo and Jim Cornette's fake grudge because it's irrelevant. Neither one of them are involved in wrestling anymore. Stop talking about it like it's relevant. I agree 100%. Listen, I don't like Vince Russo. Uh, I think he's generally a stain on the business. But Jim Cornette comes off as the biggest piece of shit here. And this is my biggest problem with this episode. Is that I felt like they focused way too much on Cornette versus Russo. Jim Cornette is this asshole who threatened... uh, Basically, I'm going to kill you, motherfucker, over voicemail. And... It just, like you said, it comes off so poorly. It had nothing to do with this fucking documentary. I would have rather have talked about draws more. I would have rather have talked about, like you said, PCO finding a second life more, which was something that they really could have talked about, and that would have been really nice because they did get into draws a little bit. They talked about how his career-ending injury, they had a little bit of comment from D'Lo, and... um. You know, D'Lo looks mortified to this day to talk about this, but Draw seems very cool with his life, all things considered. That was nice, but you have this Cornette Russo stuff in there. I didn't want to hear about it because you have Jim Cornette just being the most unlikable human being, sitting there gleefully talking about wanting to kill a man over voicemail. And then the only thing that saves Vince Russo from coming off the worst in that is the fact that Cornette threatened to kill him. Because you have Vince Russo, on the other hand, laughing like a comic book villain over the fact that JBL, quote-unquote, got what was coming to him. And then he monologues into, but if I knew what I knew now about concussion issues, I would have not done all that. Fuck you. You know, it's like you were an asshole that wanted to see him get his ass beat. Again, the only reason he doesn't come off as the biggest piece of shit is because Cornette admits that he wanted to kill him. Why are Dark Side of the Ring giving these two guys so much time? It's the same Cornette promo on Vince Russo. It's the same Vince Russo, hey bro, bullshit. I don't want to hear it. I don't think that that stuff adds to these shows. Do these two gentlemen have insight on the time frame? Of course they do because they were in the writer's room and they were part of this. But why are we rehashing this feud, Jerome? Why? I don't know. I mean, there's an obsession with the late 90s. WWF and WWE have played into that. The podcasting plays into that. How many documentaries, specials about Montreal have there been over the course of the last 20 years? It's just something that's really easy. It's a natural conflict, but it's just it really reflects poorly on wrestling as a whole because, again, these two guys are not involved with it at this point, and you will definitely not see them involved at any point in the future because they're both fucking lunatics, and they should not be focused on as, as much as they are. If if you're going to have Jim Cornette on, I understand if that's what you want to do, and he is relevant to the topic being discussed, 
But when it comes to his personal BS, that needs to be left to the sideline. And I think the same thing is true for, for Vince Russo. If, if you're going to have Russo to talk about specific angles, that's fine. But I don't need to hear the story about him thinking he was going to get fired and then he gets put in charge of the writing team. I don't need to hear that story again because it's something I've heard a million times and has been told in a million different ways. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing is that I really just wanted this because I, I actually like this episode in a lot of ways more than the New Jack episode because of the fact that it did show Bart Gunn and kind of what he went through and his journey and his story. I just wish the rest of the documentary focused on either Draws, Godfather, maybe talk about PCO, because the Cornette Russo stuff could have very easily been left on the cutting room floor, and I think it would have been better for it. Yeah, my my biggest criticisms are the, not the inclusions of Russo and Cornette, but the continued feud bullshit with them. Because, again, contextually, these men are important to talk about this because Vince Russo came up with the idea, Cornette was there, he was against it. That's fine. I don't want to relive their feud. And I guess on an interesting note to kind of wrap up this part of uh, what we're talking about, I don't remember his name, but one of the former WWE writers posted on Twitter that in 2009 or 2010, back when NXT was doing the game show style format, Vince McMahon wanted to bring back the brawl for all for these guys and had to be talked out of it. I... I'm not gonna lie. If if was this the low key season? Uh, low key and Brian Danielson and Brawl for All, I would have paid for. But <laughs> I would have loved, and this is gonna sound awful, but if low key this this alleged tough guy of the ring, if he had gone in there and got knocked out by some random dude, I would still be laughing to this day about it because low key is somebody that I can't stand either. Do you remember when he knocked out that big motherfucker in Evolve? Yeah, I mean that was that was just garbage because like he just kicked he kicked a defenseless human being. I mean it was I yeah I'm not a low key fan. So, but yeah, that was a, a rumor. And again, I can't remember the gentleman's name. I apologize, but uh, he was a former WWE writer and he had put it out there. And that sounds like a very Vince McMahon thing. Like, hey, it's been over ten years. We can bring the brawl for all back. It'll work. I mean, I think the, 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 the one thing I will say is that companies have been able to bring back shoot-style matches, even though they're worked, and they've had success with that. I know WXW does their Ambition Tournament. Uh, you've got Bloodsport. Um, so I know that they've been able to have some success with not this format, but they've been able to do shoot-style things, and it has been presented well. So I do want to point that out. And even in wrestling, if you just look in wrestling – even not so much the specific show style, but various workers, obviously. I mean, you have your former MMA guys like Tom Lawler and stuff. Um, and then you also have people like um, Timothy Thatcher, TJP, uh, Daniel Bryan himself, and low-key at times that have worked that style into their in-ring style. So it's not something you can't do, but you can't just have untrained guys going out there working alleged real shoot fights. Certainly not. And yeah, I think that's that's kind of where we end up with this is that the Brawl for All is something that will never be done in this form again. And it's just you you think about Bargun and you think about his legacy and how it was transformed by this situation. And it's also funny to me that Bargun never got pushed, but they kept 
trying to push Billy Gunn like four or five different times. TNA tried to do it, and it never worked. <laughs> it never did, dude. And um, yeah, but yeah, Bart Gunn comes off like a lovely gentleman on this episode. Darren Drozdov seems to be happy. I thought The Godfather came off well. And then you got Cornette Russo and Jim Ross, who just seem completely bitter and delusional in very different ways and generally don't come off well. I would agree with all of that sentiment. So, um, But I agree with you. Overall, good episode. Again, I would have canned all that Russo versus Cornette stuff. It would have been nice to have a little coda on the end that... You know, we talked about PCO earlier in this show, and at age 50, PCO returned to wrestling, and he became a world heavyweight champion, and he's successful and happy now, and blah, blah, blah. And maybe a couple words from him, that would have been great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you add that, you cut the, uh, the bullshit we talked about. Um, yeah, it's it's it would have been a much better episode, but I do think it's a good episode. And I think season two, three episodes in, we're off to a really good start. I mean, I've enjoyed so far. Yeah, I think season two has been better than season one. And I almost feel like I need to go back and rewatch season one just to see why that's the case. But I think the pacing has just been better. And I think the quality of the stories that you're talking about perhaps are, are more interesting. And yeah, I think that the Brawl for All is ripe for discussion because it's not something that WWE likes to pretend exists. So that's why it makes a fertile ground to have a real conversation about it and just not put WWE spin behind it. I think um, the reason season two is coming off better is a combination of a few things. I think it is more compelling topics. topics. I mean, especially when you start off with the Benoit tragedy. You start off with that episode, it's so deep, and you have so many people involved in it, um, that episode that were so close to it. Um, you know, the New Jack one is obviously ripe for discussion because of all the crazy shit. And then this one is, like you said, a product of the time that's never going to happen again. And then I think also it's a learning curve. Because they went into season one with a, with a really cool idea. And I, I, maybe they didn't have the perfect idea of how to execute it. And I think that they learned a lot from season one and that they're kind of proving everything that they've learned. And um, they're kind of excelling in season two. And hopefully that can um, keep it up for the rest of this uh, season because I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm interested to see because the, the episode next week is – has been covered a lot. David Bixenspan. I don't know if he's on the documentary. He goddamn well better be because he has done so much reporting about the story that they're doing next week. And if he's not on, I'm actually going to be pissed because he is, again, he's done so many articles on uh, the story of Jimmy Snuka and the alleged murder of his girlfriend. And yeah, I mean, I think that that what that gets into is true crime. And that's something that people just really love in general. True crime is something that's being done to death through streaming and whatnot. So I think you're going to get a lot of that in next week's episode when they talk about that situation. And again, Vix better be on. Yeah. And we're to find out if he is or not, obviously, because we will be talking about this next week. Again, that's a, that's another deep dive subject. Uh, hopefully covered well, because that feels like, like you said, it's been covered by a lot of people, but that also feels like it could be an episode that could have been two hours as well. Yeah, I mean, because it's a story that's been going on for the last 30 years. I mean, the incident itself took place in the early 80s. 
And a lot of the reporting that's been done about it is only recently, you know, 2015, 2017 is when Bix's stories were out. So there's a, there's a lot to discuss. That's right. So again, Jerome and I will be back at some point next week to talk about that. Jerome, thank you again, my friend. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is a lot of fun, and I look forward to. I will be here for the duration of the Dark Side of the Ring uh, season, so we will be discussing this and you know Bravo and Owen Hart and Herb Abrams and boy, I know nothing about that, so that that will be a learning curve for me and learning about the wonders of that of that situation. The Herb Abrams legendary tales are that he died of a heart attack covered in Vaseline after a coke build prostitute uh, rampage. I mean, allegedly, is there, is, there, is there a better way to go out? <laughs> <laughs> Again, allegedly, I wasn't there, but you know, uh, yeah, we'll find out and we'll see how they, deep they get into that. You know, the Dino Bravo one is, uh, you know, he was allegedly killed in the gangland hit smuggling cigarettes in Canada, and Jesus, I'm God. sorry for. I'm sorry for laughing, but like just hearing it put that way is funny to me. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's it's a weird one, dude, because you don't expect like power man, professional wrestler smuggling cigarettes in, into Canada, you know, I mean, it's or out of Canada or whatever he was doing. But yeah, we're going to we'll see how they de- get how deep they get into it. But yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the season. I'm enjoying getting to talk to you again, my friend. And um. I just want to thank everybody for listening once again. This has been the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review. Everybody stay home and stay safe.